This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Youthful Energy, providing you with a unique energy support of pure NT Factor. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor from Nutritional Therapeutics repairs damaged cells and restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years. With a 45-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158, 800-982-9158, or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. Our subject is vitamin D, and uh, we're pushing back on something that I wrote about, uh, oh, I guess about uh, a couple of months ago, uh, when headlines like these were seen. New York Times heralds, study finds another condition that vitamin D pills do not help. SciTech Daily writes, study finds vitamin D supplements do not reduce risk of broken bones. And Forbes magazine goes even further saying, stop taking vitamin D already. And uh, there's an editorial in the New England Journal of Medicine where the study results were published saying it's time to stop taking vitamin D and it's time to stop testing vitamin D because, well, it doesn't seem to make a difference anyhow. Uh, our guest is Dr. William Grant, one of world's experts on vitamin D. Uh, he's... Uh, uh, his background as, is as a Ph.D. in physics at UC Berkeley, but lately he's turned his attention to uh, the role that vitamin D plays via vitamin D supplementation and diet and then sunlight as well. He's director of the Sunlight Nutrition and Health Research Center, uh, which you can find at sunarc.org. Uh, so uh, lately you've turned your attention to vitamin D's role in potentially preventing this uh, what seems to be a pandemic of, of autism and developmental disorders. I mean, the numbers are, are truly scary. They keep going up uh, every every time we assess. I think it's, it's down, in some areas of the country, it's like one in 40. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I think vitamin D plays some role in, in, in autism. But, um, uh, in fact, John Connell and I were working on that back in 2008, 2009 when Vitamin D Council was in business. Um, but, um, and he tried to ascribe the rapid rise to decline in, in vitamin D levels. However, uh, in my opinion, it's really linked to the, um, the vaccine schedule that infants get, uh, up to now 60 or so vaccines in the first few years of life. Uh, uh, and, I mean, vitamin D can play a little role, but I think uh, the main thing is is vaccination. But um, that's yep. difficult to prove and, and would be challenged. Right. In, in other words, I mean, it may be multifactorial because, you know, there's so many things that have changed. The diets have changed. Uh, the environment mm-hmm. has changed. We've introduced a lot of harmful chemicals into the environment. Uh, our vaccine mm-hmm. schedules are, are, are just incredible compared to the vaccines that we experienced as kids. You know, we had a few fundamental vaccines, right. you know, polio and, you know, at all. Uh, and then there's also the decline in sun exposure, you know, more kids spending time uh, indoors. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, so there, you know, it could be a multiplicity of things. So, um, right. so, so the, the, 
you know, the other thing that uh, you talk about is the role that um, vitamin D may play. And by the way, it's mentioned again, a uh, new paper just out today. So this is the timing is amazing for this uh, interview. Uh, comparing the evidence from observational studies and randomized controlled trials for non-skeletal health effects of vitamin D. And uh, it's, it's a very deep dive uh, on a variety of relationships between vitamin D and a multitude of conditions, Alzheimer's disease and dementia, autoimmune diseases, cancers, cardiovascular disease, COVID-19, uh, infectious uh, respiratory tract infections, uh, major depressive disorder, diabetes, hypertension, uh, pregnancy outcomes, and of course, bottom line is all-cause mortality. Uh, I think there is a, a pretty uh, robust relationship between vitamin D levels and all-cause mortality. Am I correct in saying that? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I've been looking at that the last couple of days, and almost every study that looks at, at that relationship in observational manner uh, finds a, an effect. And it looks like maybe um, uh, a 20% reduction in all-cause mortality for getting above, uh, say, 30 nanograms per milliliter and compared to being uh, anywhere below that. And so it, in uh, among your, your critiques of these studies is that uh, the amount of vitamin D used in some of these intervention studies uh, first of all, it's it's not customized to uh, get people to achieve optimal levels of vitamin D because I know from my experience I give people two thousand international units of vitamin D, and they're you know they come back and their vitamin D is you know twenty eight or thirty two, and that may not be optimal for disease prevention. Right. Uh, and then we have to hike the dose. What what are some of the doses that that you might propose that people take? And again, it's not one size fits all, and and you know for some people, okay, well, uh, moderate uh, I amounts take, might uh, be okay. I've been taking about 5,000 IU per day, mm -hmm. and um, I weigh about 135 pounds. And I got with that, I got my 25-hydroxyvitamin D up to about 60 nanograms per milliliter, mm -hmm. which is, um, uh, well, grassrootshealth.net is a, a nonprofit organization that promotes vitamin D. And they have a whole uh, list of, of, of vitamin D researchers uh, uh, supporting uh, their, their, their work. And they, they give the range 40 to 60 nanograms per milliliter as the optimal health range. And I, I would generally agree with that. So uh, I think uh, thin people can take uh, 4,000, 5,000 IU per day. Uh, in fact, they've shown that pregnant women uh, well, work at Medical University of South Carolina, um, and with, with grassroots health has shown that taking 4,000, 5,000 IU per day while pregnant is very worthwhile to help reduce the risk of uh, preterm delivery and, and uh, gestational diabetes and, and preeclampsia and, and C-section delivery. Um, the um, Anyway, I, I've, uh, I think I'm in pretty good health with, with taking 5,000. I've, I've tried taking 10,000 with no adverse effects, but... Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure how much. Well, there was a study by, by Michael Hollick's uh, group um, showing that people who took uh, 400, 4,000, 10,000 IU per day had quite a difference in the number of gene, uh, the genes that that were had changed expression. Mm -hmm. And with 10,000 IU per day, they were getting up to... In, in a good way. Think, in a good way, you're saying. In a right. positive yeah, change in expression. Yeah, it turns some genes on, turns some genes off. And mm -hmm. um, so they got quite a few more at... at 10,000 they did at 4,000 or 400. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess we haven't fully explored. Well, there was, see, back in the old days, back uh, back around 2010, 
there was concern that going to higher levels of vitamin D might have adverse effects because observational studies were finding that people who enrolled in studies and had higher 25-hydroxyvitamin D or vitamin D level at the time of enrollment sometimes had uh, a poor outcome than some people in the, sort of the middle range. Mm-hmm. Well, what I've pointed out is that they have, in, in all those studies, they didn't bother to ask the people who uh, were enrolled in the studies, when did you start taking vitamin D uh, to achieve those levels and why were you taking it? And my, my contention is that many of them were told by their physician, oh, it's time for you seem to have osteopenia or osteoporosis, mm-hmm. you should start taking vitamin D. Uh, in fact, uh, Carol Baggerly, who runs uh, Grassroots Health, she is a breast cancer survivor, mm-hmm. and she went through all the treatment and just hated them. And finally, a GP told her, you have low vitamin D. Mm-hmm. And being a good researcher, she researched and found the work by Cedric and Frank Garland on breast cancer and checked it out and found out that she could have prevented breast cancer by taking vitamin D. And so she's been on a mission ever since 2007 to spread the word on vitamin D. So um, uh, anyway, and that's all I can say. That group recommends 40 to 60. 40 to 60,000 per day? No, no, 40 to 60. Uh, oh, levels. Level of I'm sorry, level, levels. Okay, great. Yeah. Which, and then they show that, that, that there's a large range of, of, of vitamin D level for any vitamin D dose. Mm-hmm. So what they recommend is if you want to start um, – uh, supplementing, you might just have your vitamin D level measured and then go with whatever dose you want and then come back in two or three months and recheck it. Mm-hmm. In fact, they offer a blood spot test, um, which you can order through grassrootshealth.net uh, for a reasonable price. And then you can also enroll in a study where the, you can, uh, every six months, get another test, report your health outcome, and participate in their study to find out what happens at different levels. Okay, that's an important resource. Uh, let's mention that again. It's it's grassrootshealth.com. And, you know, for people dot, now... Dot, who, dot, dot net. Dot net. Dot I'm net. sorry. Thank you. And for people who now... Doctors are, are really kind of uh, assisting insurance companies and Medicare in cost containment. And, I, and I'm seeing this more and more with patients. If they want certain things tested, like vitamin D levels or B12 levels, the doctors say, well, you don't need that. And they won't do it. Uh, so this is a kind of a workaround if you want to get your vitamin D level tested at grassrootshealth.net, correct? Right. Correct. Great. Okay. So, but let's look at the potential for deleterious effects. I mean, is there a point where, you know, too much of a good thing uh, can be harmful? Well, okay. There is concern that, um, that, that, that well, so the, 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 the original role of vitamin D was to increase the GI tract absorption of calcium and phosphorus, and um, and then also work on the metabolism. But it turns out that if you have very high doses of vitamin D, uh, you can start putting calcium in the soft tissues like the arteries mm-hmm. and build up, uh, start stif- stiffening the arteries. So what's recommended there is for people to take vitamin K2, mm-hmm. uh, and I use it, of course, from natokinase, which helps put the calcium in the bones and, and, and not in the, in the arteries. Mm-hmm. And I think that also maybe helps regulate uh, viscosity or, mm-hmm. or, or something else with the blood. And is that a potentially so, another flaw of some of these studies? Because they, and, and this is the way that scientific studies are often conducted. It's like one thing, you know, and when you study mm-hmm. nutrition, there's a multiplicity of interacting factors. And perhaps it's reasonable to look at studies where 
Vitamin D is optimized by taking it in conjunction with magnesium and vitamin K2 and perhaps other ancillary nutrients. Maybe maybe that's a more reasonable approach to studying vitamin D. Uh, yes. In fact, Robert Heaney outlined that in 2014 in a paper on how to conduct nutrient studies mm-hmm. different from drug studies. And it was you know, optimize the other factors like magnesium um, and maybe calcium. So you're only looking at the effect of vitamin D. But of course, nobody ever does that in in these trials, right? So, and it seems that there are some problems with vitamin D absorption, uh, utilization, and transformation into the active forms of vitamin D. And some of it's genetic, and some may be related to people's conditions. Uh, and so, perhaps we should be uh, stratifying people based on, you know, maybe they have uh, a genetic alteration in their vitamin D receptor, or maybe they have some problems converting uh, 25-hydroxyvitamin D into 125-hydroxyvitamin D, which is sort of the, the, the active form of vitamin D. Is there any consideration made to those uh, factors? Well, uh, what, what um, was proposed by, by Grassroots Health is that um, you enroll people in studies, you then... Um, after a few months of whatever dose they're taking, remeasure their 25-hydroxyvitamin D, and if you want to get them to a certain level, if you want to see what happens at 15 nanograms per milliliter, you might then adjust their dose so that if over a several-year trial, you've got them at whatever vitamin D level you want for the trial. But um, the vital study didn't even measure uh, 25-hydroxyvitamin D. They, they relied on, on participants sending in their vitamin D level, which not all of them did. Wow. Wow. So, you know, so and coming back to the vital study, uh, you know, what say you? I mean, does that, you're an expert on the non-skeletal health effects of vitamin D. So this is not so much your bailiwick, but when looking at the vital study that looks at the impact of vitamin D on bone health and other things, but, you know, specifically bone health, uh, do you see deficiencies in, in that study? Well, I think it was a... For $40 million, they didn't get their money's worth. Okay. Um, and and it was so expensive that it's very unlikely to be uh, redone anytime in mm-hmm. the near future. Uh, uh, Maybe that's why they're so anxious to close the book on vitamin D research, you know, saying, okay, uh, you know, it's a done deal. Uh, you know, this is it. Well, one wonders, yes, if, if that was the, the result. I mean, it's, it's a... Uh, I mean... I like the observationalist studies. Let me turn to the observationalist studies just a minute. Yeah. Uh, most of them look at many confounding factors. They look at BMI, they look at age, uh, they look at race, they look at uh, uh, diet, and so on. And if you, as I show in the, the, uh, this new article, uh, uh, many uh, outcomes have uh, show that if you look at a, a whole uh, a set of, of um, observational studies, they all have similar outcomes, and you find a co- co- coherent pattern. There's also, um, uh, digress just a minute, to the Hill's criteria for causality in a biological system. Mm-hmm. Uh, A.B. A. Hill in 1965 outlined what you have to show to show causality. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, medicine only thinks that all you need is a randomized controlled trial. And mm-hmm. then don't design them right, but they don't find it. But you look at consistency. You look at a dose. You look at um, uh, a, a dose-response relationship. You look at um, uh, um, plausibility. You look for mechanisms. Mm-hmm. You look for uh, biological facts. 
you look at analogy with other associations, and if you do an experiment, you can use that as well. Um, and so many of the outcomes from observational studies have been used in analysis using Hill's criteria, and they show that almost all of the criteria are satisfied with the exception of the clinical trials. But there's a new kid on the block in the last decade or so called Mendelian randomization studies. Yes, yes, which, that's very interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Try to explain that. Which because, they, yeah. Okay. If you take 100,000 people and you look at the genetic variations of things like the vitamin D receptor and the, the, the enzymes that convert vitamin D to 25-hydroxyvitamin D to 125, mm-hmm. um, you can then get what you call a, a genetic prediction of vitamin D level. Mm-hmm. And then if you, if you look like in the UK Biobank, which has 100,000 or more participants with health outcomes, 25-hydroxyvitamin D levels, and the genetics, you can then find, if you're very clever, an effect like mm-hmm. on cardiovascular disease. And there's a woman by the name of uh, Elena Hippenen in Australia who um, has developed a way of doing this in a stratified manner, mm-hmm. looking at, at various genetic levels. And she was able to show that for, for cardiovascular disease, she can show that if you raise uh, 25-reductive D to above 30 or 40 nanograms per milliliter, you'd have at least a 6% reduction in cardiovascular disease uh, uh, incidence. And she's also shown hypertension, diabetes, et cetera, et cetera. So this this does this is accepted as showing causal effect, mm-hmm. and, and it, it also shows a gradient, which is not usually seen in the clinical trials. So right, it's hard to a, do that with just a pen and pencil. I mean, actually, it's so complex. It, it from my understanding, it may require. Uh, you know, machine learning and artificial intelligence to, to crunch the enormous numbers uh, to come up with a meaningful outcome. Am I correct in saying that? I, I think that's, that's the way some that's of these correct. studies are done. And so these studies are, are relatively new, but they, they seem to be trendy, uh, and they offer an alternative to these randomized controlled trials where you expend an enormous amount of money and you are dependent on compliance, number one, which is spotty among right. patients. You know, you're supposed to, and they have to be long-term. They have to be, you know, like <laughs> 10 or 20 years to be meaningful. Uh, and then they're often uh-huh. based on recall. They're, you know, it's like, yes, I did, or yeah. no, I did, I ate this, or I didn't eat that, you know. So, so I think yeah. those uh, are promising studies to help uh, validate the, the vitamin D connection and, and the connection of, you know, perhaps other uh, nutrients. Um, because, right. uh, you, you know, you're, you're kind of a renaissance man when it comes to looking at nutritional science. You know, you're not a, a one note Charlie because you study other uh, nutritional relationships uh, on health. Right. Um, yeah. so, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay, there's, there's one other type of study I find very promising, too, and that is if you have a population, a defined population, whether it be in the Veterans Administration, hospitals, the patients, or in Barcelona where you have everybody who takes vitamin D has to go to a pharmacist and get a prescription for vitamin D, you then can look at those people who, in that, that those two groups, those who started below 20 nanograms per milliliter and stayed below 20 nanograms per milliliter, and those who increased to above 30 nanograms per milliliter. And, and, and then you can find that all-cause mortality rate and, and myocardial infarction incidence was reduced by about 30 or 40 percent 
in the veterans uh, hospital study, and COVID uh, incidence uh, uh, was reduced by again about twenty or thirty percent in the Barcelona study. So these are sort of like a sort of an uncontrolled uh, supplementation study. It's observational, mm-hmm. but as long as you have you can do what's called propensity score matching to make sure you get really good matching between the the uh, treatment and the control group. Uh, and I think these results are very robust. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm kind of confused about uh, the role that vitamin D plays in COVID because, you know, it's, it's kind of like looking at ivermectin studies. You know, they, they, they say, some studies say it's worthless, other studies show it's beneficial, and the same thing with vitamin D. And uh, there was one study that where they administered, it was admittedly a synthetic form of vitamin D, very high dose to people who just came down with COVID, and they dramatically reduced uh, hospitalization and mortality or, you know, people having to go on ventilators. And, and that seemed really promising uh, until other studies were done showing that, nah, you know, vitamin D is kind well, of a, that was uh, a study in Spain with, with Spain. That right. was a study with, with, with 25 hydroxy vitamin D. In other words, the formed circulating form of vitamin D. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't artificial, which is sort of the next process. Right. Yeah. And they, and the benefit of that is it raises 25 your vitamin D level very rapidly. Mm-hmm. Whereas taking vitamin D can raise it slowly. And the other thing is, in terms of COVID, you really have to attack COVID or, or infection right when it starts. You can't wait five or 10 days mm-hmm. because the two benefits of vitamin D are to, first of all, to try to reduce the viability of the virus, and second of all, reduce the, the production of pro-inflammatory cytokines and the risk of cytokine storms, which start destroying the surface layers of, of the organs. So... Uh, yeah, the studies like in Brazil and and, and um, Turkey that gave high dose vitamin D ten days after people developed COVID, it was just too late to have much of benefit. Mm-hmm. And, and but this, this and they, they're doing a lot of work with with um, this this twenty five hydroxy vitamin D in Spain, and it seems to be very promising. Right. When I, uh, when I had COVID uh, on Christmas of twenty twenty one, the first thing I did was uh, I had fifty thousand international units of vitamin D uh, capsules. And uh, I took uh, one daily for three consecutive days, along with zinc and other things, you know, the, some of the nutraceuticals that, that bolster immunity, uh, of course, and, and acetylcysteine, and you name it. But uh, is, is that a plausible strategy when people come down with a, a respiratory infection, even, you know, a flu or a cold or perhaps COVID? Uh, yes. Um, uh, I like the protocol at the FLCCC. Com or org frontline doctors, the, the frontline doctors, right? Pierre Corey and Paul Merrick, mm-hmm. and they, they they say things like vitamin C, vitamin D, um, and ivermectin. And and I've tried ivermectin, and I think it is very effective. But of course, it's getting very bad publicity, yeah, because big pharma doesn't like it. Right, it's but cheap and it's in direct competition with some of the more expensive drugs. Yeah. There's a really nice study out of Brazil a week or two ago that shows it's very effective in preventing uh, infection. Wow. Okay. But, uh, that, and that contrasts with a recent study, I believe it was in the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, which uh, showed that they looked at Fluvox, Fluvoxamine, uh, and um, and oh, and uh, yeah, also uh, Pepsid, uh, which is the uh, famotidine. And ivermectin, and it showed that they had no impact on the course of disease. So, well, you can always decide a trial to fail. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, and you know, uh, the the that the meme is designed to fail is that often these studies mm-hmm. are 
intended to debunk uh, certain targets, you know, to sort of dispel right. the notion that these could be helpful. Um, well, okay, so it, this obviously it remains in, in controversy, uh, but uh, I think your, your paper should do a lot to move the ball forward uh, in terms of our understanding of uh, the impact of vitamin D and also uh, why the, and the question it's a, it's an annoying question is why do some studies come up equivocal or negative on the impacts of vitamin D and I think your paper uh, really spells that out uh, and opens up the door to more research on a, on a wide variety of fronts uh, you know uh, neurodegenerative disease autoimmune disease cancer cardiovascular disease uh, mood disorders like depression uh, immunity pregnancy and of course uh, the ultimate which is Preventing death, all-cause mortality. Uh, there's a lot of promise there. Uh, I just wanted to, to talk a little bit about uh, the role of sunlight because the name of your of the organization, which you are currently the director of, the Sunlight Nutrition and Health Research Center. Um, a lot of people take for granted that you know sunlight is a source of vitamin D, and you know maybe maybe that's an uh, sunlight exposure should be part of our. Uh, dosing options for optimizing our vitamin D. What, what say you? Uh, indeed it is. And if you look at COVID rates, they're much lower in the summer than they are in the winter. And that has to do with uh, UVA producing, uh, getting nitric oxide into the blood, UVB getting vitamin D in the blood, and, and maybe other effects of UVB, and maybe temperature and humidity changes. So uh, certainly sunlight is very good. And if you look at... Um, Overall mortality rates in the United States, there's, like I said, about 25% difference between summer and winter. Mm -hmm. So uh, for many people, um, sunlight uh, is beneficial. Now, it turns out that we're, we're putting on more sunblock, we're wearing more clothes, we're afraid of skin cancer, uh, we're heavier now, and being heavier means that you make you need more vitamin D to, to overcome the effects of obesity, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, and then it turns out that you've got to know when to be in the sun to be, have it beneficial. It turns out you, your shadow has to be shorter than you are in order for you to make any vitamin D. Hmm. So there's six months of a year in Boston where well, you can't make any vitamin D. I hadn't thought of it that way, but that's interesting. Yeah. But the, the dermatologist calls it the, the shadow rule, and they say stay out of the sun if right. your shadow is shorter. And we say, no, go in the sun if your shadow is shorter than you are. And so that means during the time of day and the time of year. Look at your shadow length, and, and that'll help tell you when to be in the sun. And, there, and there's also, I mean, this is, again, observational and, you know, maybe coincidental, but uh, when COVID started, you know, we thought that because of the, the poor nutrition conditions and because of the poor uh, medical care in many uh, underdeveloped countries, you know, especially equatorial countries uh, in Africa and Latin America and so on, uh, parts of uh, Southeast Asia, uh, that there would be a terrible, terrible toll of COVID. Uh, and yet it seems that it's uh, the modern industrialized countries in the temperate regions uh, that took the brunt of COVID, right? Well, yeah. It's very complex. Um, There's so many the things going on. You've got yeah. Tropics like Brazil had major problems. They did. Uh, and, and it could be the humidity and the... Um, temperature and so on playing a role and lack of vaccine well um but the, yeah, the, the thing in the united states is way mismanaged um uh there's any contract contact tracing 
there wasn't talk about uh, early treatment, which could have um, greatly reduced the risk of all the adverse effects. There was this whole lockdown thing, which uh, Sweden didn't lock down, and I don't think they had any worse outcome than countries that locked down. Slightly better, a lot of, far better uh, economic and social and psychological uh, impact of COVID. Right. You know, that's been documented. And then by closing the school, closing the schools for years set the students way back in terms of education. So uh, it's, it's, it's been mismanaged, and, and um, um, it's, it's, I think history will be written eventually on what went wrong and how we could have done it right. But uh, the CDC has not helped. The FDA has not helped. It's, 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 um, it's just been a sad story. Uh, Indeed. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, openness to nutritional strategies, I mean, even simple things like, you know, healthy diet, uh, weight optimization uh, and exercise, uh, they barely pay, play lip service uh, to those factors uh, when they right. are so determinant in uh, the likelihood that COVID will be serious or fatal. So, yeah, you know, I mean, bad so job. The older that. people had the, the, the the older people had the brunt, bear the bore the brunt of of this, and, and those especially with with uh, comorb- comorbid diseases, chronic diseases, for example, cardiovascular diabetes, etc. And that's where the attention should have been placed, not on school children. Indeed. Okay. Well, I'm I'm on board with that proposition. So I want to thank you very much, uh, Dr. William Grant. But uh, give us uh, the heads up on where people can access your latest study. Uh, it's in the journal Nutrients. Uh, do you link it at uh, the website for uh, Sunlight Nutrition and Health mm-hmm. Research Center? No, I don't. Um, uh, best thing is just go to Nutrients. Uh, it's uh, an MDPI journal. You can very easily find Nutrients online. It's an open access paper. So get to Nutrients, put my name in the search file, and you'll find actually 30 papers I published at Nutrients. It's, it's the most pro-vitamin D journal I'm aware of hmm. and has very rapid publication. I mean, it could have taken a year to publish my COVID paper, but it was published in a month uh, at that journal. Great. And I, it, you'll permit me to link it uh, in our show notes today so that... Uh, That'd be fine. You know, it, I mean, it's a deep dive and, you know, some of our wonky listeners may want to tackle it, but it's uh, it's very comprehensive. It's, you know, 30 plus pages of uh, detailed argument, uh, but right. uh, at least... Uh, you know, you can look at the abstract on the top line and the conclusions and get a lot of uh, information about vitamin D. So, and the you. figures and the tables. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, so con- congratulations on, you know, uh, achieving a, a breakthrough publication and, and pushing back against uh, what seems to be a conspiracy of silence about vitamin D to suppress its use and malign it, uh, which is the scientific establishment in conjunction with the medical profession, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, and of course, uh, a compliant media, which parrots some of the propaganda. Thank you very much for joining us. Right. Well, thanks for interviewing me and thanks for promoting vitamin D. Indeed. That was Dr. William Grant. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. As an Intelligent Medicine listener, you know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. But vetting your sources and tracking down the exact products you need can be a hassle. That's why I'm inviting you to browse my online supplement dispensary at drhoffmanstore.com. We stock only the highest quality supplements, some of which are very hard to find elsewhere. The very same supplements I prescribe to my patients and take myself. 
My specially curated professional-grade supplements are fulfilled via the Fullscript network. Fullscript is the safest and most convenient way to purchase my medical-grade supplements. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA-compliant and offers world-class support. Just go to drhoffmanstore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll also receive free shipping on all of your store orders. That's drhoffmanstore.com. drhoffmanstore.com.